beloved congregation of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, brothers and sisters, recently it was in the news that two economics professors in the United Kingdom conducted a study with participants from all over the world measuring the state of happiness of people at various stages of their life. They found that the older you get, the more depressed you become. The most depressed people are those in middle age. Such depression is not caused by children crying through the middle of the night or by the occurrence of divorces after 20 years of marriage or anything like that. It's much deeper. In interpreting the data, they surmise that such feelings of depression may be due to the fact that as you grow older, you realize more and more the futility of life. When you are younger, you are optimistic and you make all kinds of plans, but often those plans do not pan out. And even if things work out for you, then they do not turn out to be as meaningful or as fulfilling as you thought they would be. The researchers found that such feelings of unhappiness bottom out at, in the mid-40s. Their conclusion was that miserable middle age is a global phenomenon. The good news, so the study says, is that after your mid-40s, you begin to feel somewhat happier. You more and more begin to accept the fact that that's the way it is. But is that the way it is? Is life meaningless? As you read the book of Ecclesiastes, you would think so. Time and again we read that everything is meaningless or vanity, as the other translations have it. And that's what it says right here in the Bible. For Ecclesiastes is part of the Bible. But is that what the Lord God is saying? That life is useless? That life is hopelessly devoid of meaning? Doesn't that contradict with what the Lord God himself tells us in the rest of Scripture? Namely, that life is precious. That life is full of meaning. Listen, for example, to what the Lord Jesus himself said in John 10, verse 10. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. What are we to make of that? How can the Bible say one thing and then in another place say something completely different? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, let me assure you that the Bible does not contradict itself. If you want to understand what God is saying to you, then you have to know how to read the Bible. You have to read carefully. And you have to compare Scripture with Scripture. You have to look at each passage within its immediate context, within its broader context, and within the context of all of God's Word. You and I, we have a high regard for the authority of Scripture. We have that high regard because we know that all Scripture is inspired by God. Although he uses human beings, the Holy Spirit is actually the author himself. And so, what is the Holy Spirit telling us in these first verses of Ecclesiastes? 
Is it normal to be so pessimistic about life here on earth? That's what we will deal with this morning. I will preach to you about the futility of earthly life. We will look at that in the first place from man's perspective and in the second place from God's perspective. So I will preach to you about the futility of life first from man's perspective and then from God's perspective. The book of Ecclesiastes is a book like no other. It does not begin in the way that you would expect. For it doesn't begin by praising God for his creation. It does not begin by stating that these are the words of God and that we have to listen to them. It doesn't begin with a positive tone in the least. It does quite the opposite. It is negative. It sounds like the author himself is in the midst of a midlife crisis and he wants everybody to know about it. He has to live his life here on earth and he finds that there is nothing to it. It's all useless. Perhaps you remember or you know the the song sung by Peggy Lee. Is that all there is? She sings about her experiences in life as a little girl and as she grows older. She experiences a fire and then a circus and then the falling in and out of love. And throughout the song, the refrain is, is that all there is? Is that all there is? If that's all, if that's all there is, my friends, then let's keep on dancing. Let's break out the booze and have a ball. If that all there is. And finally she asks, well, people may say to themselves that if that's how she feels about it all, then why doesn't she end it all? And then she says that she is not ready for the final disappointment of life. She says, for when that final moment comes and I'm breathing my last breath, I'll be saying to myself, is that all there is? Is that also what the teacher is saying here? It seems so. He uses a Hebrew word which can be translated as a vanity, emptiness, vapor. It refers to something that quickly vanishes and then leaves nothing behind. The word used in the NIV catches it well. Meaningless. Someone summarized the author's feelings as saying that life is a blister on top of a tumor and a boil on top of that. Life is gruesome. It's full of pain and sorrow. It's a bore. And the teacher asked, what does a man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? The teacher has been a keen observer of life around him. He has lived a full life. And now he tries to make a sense of it all. Who is that teacher? We don't know. All we know, as it says in verse 1, is that he was a king in Jerusalem of David's lineage. Many claim that the author is Solomon. Scholars, however, dispute this. They say that the style and the language used do not reflect Solomon's time. And not only that, he speaks about kings before him. There was only one king before Solomon in Jerusalem, and that was David. And so they come to the conclusion that this book was the last book of the Old Testament and that it was written some 300 years before the, book of, before the birth of Christ. 
Now, in the end, it doesn't really matter who the author is, for it doesn't affect or alter the meaning of the book. All we know is that he introduces himself as Ecclesiastes, Koheleth in Hebrew, and that is translated as the preacher or the teacher. The name Ecclesiastes refers to someone who belongs to the assembly or to the church. He calls the assembly together and he preaches to them or he teaches them. And this teacher has a very unique style. He wants his students to observe carefully what is happening around them. He wants them to take the broad picture. He does not want them to be stuck in a certain period of their life, oblivious to what is behind and what is ahead. For that is how man lives. He lives for today. He becomes busy with his daily activities and he plows ahead without truly considering where he is going to end up. He becomes stuck in a rut. And so the teacher says, What advantage do you gain by being so busy in the various stages of your life? He says, think about it, people. Stand back for a moment. Look at where you're going. It means nothing at all. He says, life is like a balloon. You keep on huffing and puffing to make it bigger and meaningful. But in the end, it's gone. Bang! The balloon bursts. There's nothing left. Isn't that the truth? Look at the things we are aiming for in life. When you are young, you aim to be independent. And then you want to get married. And you want to get a house. You want to accumulate things. Stuff. You want to have children. You want to have a career. You want to be recognized as someone significant. As someone unique. You want to make a name for yourself. As you get older, you may have obtained some of that and some of it not. But, says the teacher, think about it. In the end, really, what does it all mean? What you have gained here on earth will go to others, to those who have not worked for it. Your precious possessions that you toiled and labored for so hard All your life in the end don't mean anything. When you get old and you go into an old age home, then you will end up in a one or two bedroom apartment where you can only take a few possessions with you. You have to let go of all those precious goods that you have acquired over the years. Somebody else will live in the house that you worked so hard for all your life. All your beautiful furniture and all your various trinkets, you will have to give to others who will not appreciate it in the way that you did, for those possessions were part of your life. And then when you die, everything is completely gone. That, says the teacher, is the lot of life of every man and woman here on earth. Depressing, isn't it? Yes? If that's how you look at life, then indeed it is depressing. And so what do you do? Bring out the booze and have a ball. Live for the moment. No, as I said, 
you have to read God's word carefully. What exactly is the teacher talking about in this passage? And note well that he is speaking here about life under the sun. In other words, he is only looking at this earthly life. He is only looking at things from man's perspective. He is talking about what happens here on earth. And whether you are a believer or an unbeliever, we all share the same lot. The teacher begins his book in the way that he does because he wants to shock us into reality. Look at what life is like under the sun. It is meaningless. It has no purpose. All you do is live and die. Once all is said and done, there is nobody on earth that is going to remember you anymore. If you really want to look at life from the proper perspective, then you have to look at what God sees. We come to the second point. The teacher refers to the life under the sun to show us our limitations. God is the one who created it all. He put us here on this earth with a purpose. When he created us, there was a connection between heaven and earth. Adam and Eve could walk and talk with God. There was direct contact with heaven. Adam and Eve had great freedom to go anywhere and to do anything. Except for the tree of knowledge of good and evil, there were no restrictions. However, as soon as man sinned, that connection between heaven and earth became broken. A man became confined to his earthly existence. He became like a fish in a bowl. There was no escape from it. Listen to what the Lord God said to Adam. Cursed is the ground because of you. Through painful toil you will eat of it all the days of your life. It will produce thorns and thistles for you, and you will eat the plants of the field. By the sweat of your brow you will eat your food until you return to the ground, since from it you were taken, for dust you are, and to dust you will return. In other words, you are now part of the cycle of life and death. Your movements and your abilities will be greatly restricted. You will experience pain and sorrow, and in the end you will experience death. That is your curse. And now the teacher in this book presses home the implication of that curse that God put upon mankind. He is telling us that is the reality of the fall into sin. That now is your fate. That now is the fate of mankind. In this book of Ecclesiastes, the teacher mentions the word toil no less than 23 times. In this way, he reminds us over and over of that curse pronounced upon man, upon each and every one of us. 
The teacher brings home the message of Genesis that if you want to survive here on earth, then you have to toil and labor to the point of exhaustion. And yet in the end, you will experience little or no fulfillment in your work. The word toil carries with it the idea of frustration and misery. How do you escape that, or do you? Well, brothers and sisters, boys and girls, God wants us to look at things from his perspective. He says, that is the life under the sun. But now, who is the one who created the sun? God did. He did not just create man, but also the sun. And he is the one who makes the sun to shine. Life here on earth would not be possible without the sun. And that's not all that bad. In many ways, that is good. The sun reminds us that God will not always be angry with man. When the sun shines, we see God smiling upon us. And then he is saying to us that he will not always have man living under his curse. But what does the sun do? The sun makes the crops to grow. And you need the sun to bring warmth and prosperity. It is only when the light of the sun is taken away that then you experience God's curse. Think about what God did to the Egyptians. He gave them darkness. That was one of his great curses upon Egypt. The Egyptians were worshippers of the sun. But the Lord God showed them that he is the one who created the sun and that he is the one who can either make it to shine or not to shine. For God is ultimately the only one who controls everything that happens here on earth. He is in complete control of man's destiny. And you may wriggle and writhe, and nothing can change that. But he has your life in his hands. And that is what the teacher wants each and every one of us to realize. Throughout your whole existence here on earth, God, like the sun, will be with you. The sun is representative of his power. With the sun, he can create life and cause death. The Shunammite son was killed by the sun. He had a sunstroke. The sun is also representative of his endurance. For example, the Lord God says in Psalm 89, Once for all I have sworn by my holiness, and I will not lie to David, that his line will continue forever and his throne endure before me like the sun. The line of David is compared to the sun. And what does the line of David refer to, brothers and sisters? Ultimately, that refers to the Lord Jesus Christ. He is of the line of David. And so here we have God's perspective on things. It's not as if he is not involved in his creation. He is. He rules. He makes the sun to shine. He gives life here on earth. He gives you prosperity. He gives you all these things to enjoy. 
And brothers and sisters, do you want to get out of that vicious cycle of life? Do you want to have a life that is full of meaning? Do you want to get out of that rut that you are in? Well, then you have to take the godly advice of Paul, who tells us to set our hearts on the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on, on not on earthly things. And that ultimately is also the message of Ecclesiastes. The teacher describes this life here on earth, this life under the sun. He looks at life from man's point of view. But then, like a bolt of lightning, he will come with a perspective from God. And he does that especially in the end of the book of Ecclesiastes. He says in chapter 12, Remember your Creator in the days of your youth. Remember Him before you are old and and spent. He says, Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep His commandments. If you want to look at life without a reference to God, then you will experience a world full of chaos, a world full of disappointments, a world full of without meaning, without progress. Now you enter the world of Peggy Lee, of the existentialists. An unbeliever sees history as something circular. It goes round and round and round. Que sera, sera. What will be, will be. There is no real progress. To postmodern man, truth is an illusion. Truth, truth is only what you make it for yourself. However, someone who looks beyond the sun, beyond the universe, he or she has a completely different perspective. When you are a believer, then you love God's creation, and you see the glory and the majesty of God's name. When you are a child of God, then you see that when the sun shines, that you realize then that He is the one who makes that happen. And that he is the one who smiles upon you, upon the animals and the trees and all of creation. That he blesses his creation with his Holy Spirit. Listen to how David expresses his joy about the life under the sun. He says in Psalm 8, O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And in Psalm 19, David exclaims with great joy that the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of his hands. And then he says further, their voice goes out into all the earth, their words to the end of the world. In the heavens he has pitched a tent for the sun, which is like a bridegroom coming forth from his pavilion, like a champion rejoicing to run his course. It rises at one end of the heavens and makes its circuit to the other. Nothing is hidden from its heat. Brothers and sisters, boys and girls, the teacher wants us to go beyond this earth. Not just to the life here under the sun, but the life above the sun. 
He wants you to see, first of all, the futility of it all. And for that reason, he keeps on coming back to the refrain of vanity, of meaninglessness, that everything is meaningless. And he wants us to realize that ultimately it is only the Lord your God who can shine upon you. Revelation 21 and 22 bring us to the end of our earthly existence. And there you are brought to a life that is no longer under the sun. It is under Christ. It is under your Lord and Savior. For we read there that in the new Jerusalem there will be no more sun. It says that the new Jerusalem does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it. For the glory of God gives it light. And the Lamb is its lamp. Life is meaningless, futile. Oh yes. Without God, it is totally meaningless, totally futile. Without God, you you walk in darkness even though you live under the sun. And that is why, brothers and sisters, God should be your light now. If He is your light now, then he will also be your light forever in the new Jerusalem. And so lift up your hearts unto the Lord. Lift them up to God. That's where your treasure is, and not here on earth. Amen.